guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a fun episode for you guys today. I was we wondering, do. do you think that if we had a not fun episode, we would tell everybody? Yes, I would sorry, like guys. to think so. Sorry, guys. I'm glad you tuned in, but this one's not very good. I mean, I feel like we're pretty <laughs> honest with our tagline. It's a pretty good car, park, car podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's, it's that's not a, a great car ex- podcast. I, I, well, I think we're underselling. I think it's a sure. <laughs> anyway, we've got uh, we we had the new Genesis G70, right, so we're going to talk about that. Um, some updates, some bad news updates on my car. It's not bad news. No, it's not bad news. It's just unexpected news. And we've got a couple news articles as well. And we're going to talk about the history of something. The as- the Genesis of hyundai as a company you mean the genesis of genesis or the genesis of hyundai all of it all of it all right all right that sounds good uh but before we get into our project updates what have you got for us yeah let's take a minute to talk about petrol box petrol box is a monthly subscription service made specifically for car guys each month they carefully select items like garage gear tools apparel publications they send it right there to your doorstep and what's cool is they kind of take the latest and greatest from the industry and box it up so you get to experience it every every month right so there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from you have the petrobox basic which costs less than 20 bucks a month and the petrobox premium gets you even more gear for 39.95 a month you can check them out where at mypetrolbox.com and use the code overcrest one word overcrest at checkout to get six dollars off your first month's order so I debated talking about this, but I realized I need to be need to be honest with the listeners. Okay, and, what know, do you I need, need to be honest. honest with us about? So you know, I did all the work on my car, right? The one ninety E or the nine eleven? The nine eleven. Okay, I didn't yes. do that much work on the one ninety E. No, I just didn't know what you were talking about. I took it to the body shop, and they, I get a call on I don't know Monday, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday. What I don't even know what day it is anymore. It, days don't matter. <laughs> they don't matter anyway. So they call me up. They like, they say, "Hey, we need you to come down here." Oh no! I go. Well, what's wrong? Uh, you just need to come down here. I'm like, is it? I'm like, is it bad? He goes, Yeah, it's pretty bad. What? And I go, Okay. Can you just tell me? He's like, No, you need to come down here to see it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Oh my god, this is like, how bad is this gonna be? So I go down there, yeah. and they're pretty cheerful. They're they're nice dudes down there. They go, Look, here's the deal. The work you did is great. Okay. You did a you did a good job. So I'm like, okay, well, thanks for having me all the way down here to tell me I did a pretty good job on my car. That feels nice. They're like you did a, you did a great job for a guy in your garage, right? Yeah. And uh, they go, but the car is still crooked. Oh, basically, he says what you did is fine, but it's attached to stuff that is still that crooked. is still crooked. And mm. I go, okay, how bad is it? He goes, let me show you. I go over there. There's basically an inch gap. On the so I didn't I could have done a better job putting the like test fitting the panels okay and I would have found this out on my own but I don't think it would have changed what needs to happen sure because this needs to happen anyway I did I test fit the the bumper the hood and the driver side because that's all I touched really right. I didn't I didn't touch anything on the passenger side okay. but we go over to the passenger side and he's like I got all I put the fender on but I didn't bolt it up fully to the yeah. to the by up by the firewall and the and the door frame and everything like that. He's like, we got this bolted up. There's about an inch gap when it comes all the way down. And he goes, it's because when it was hit, yeah. it it bent at the strut tower. Oh, okay. So it bent there and it bent yep. weird. And I didn't. I I put that fender on. So the gap is between your front fender and your door on 
no the on the on side? the on the the inner fender. Okay, so it's kind of just tweaked. Sure. And I go, okay, well, what do we have to do? Yeah. What do we got to do? He's like, basically, what we're going to need to do is cut and relocate this part of the car. <laughs> and I go, that sounds intensive. I go, okay, I go okay, that's that's the cliff notes. Okay. Okay. And I go, okay, so what does that mean? And he's like, there's two ways we can do this. I can either pay the the guy to just do it here on the floor, or we can put it on the select. Ooh. And I go, put it on the select. Really? I did. After I said, all this? After all. Well, this is what needs to be done anyway. Yeah, so, but why didn't... Do you... Okay, let me ask you this. Do you regret not just having it put on a select before you did all your work? No, because... All the work that I did isn't being changed. So all the work that I did on the Hopefully. car. No, they said it doesn't need to be changed. They okay. said everything you did, the jigs line, you had a jig on there, the suspension stuff, all that stuff is in the right place. Okay. okay. All the stuff is in the, it's where it should be. Just not in relation to the rest of the car. Correct. That's basically right. So I have all that stuff in the right spot, but it just needs to be, all the work that I did needs to be moved to another place, <laughs> essentially. So oh they're not goodness. redoing anything that I did, but they're yeah. just basically relocating the, the the front tub of the car needs to be shifted Ooh. over. Now describe to me so I can, if we're looking down from the top of the car, the whole front nose needs to go which way? To the passenger side. Okay, so it needs to, it needs to, yep. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, I was going to say just repair it on the ground. It would probably be a little bit cheaper. Yeah. But at this point, with the work that I put in. No kidding. I'm just going to have them put it on the select <laughs> and get it right. And so this is something that I can't, I really can't do. No. It's just above you know, and. Look at the bright side. I'm glad that they are detail oriented enough to know this and say this rather than just fudging it and trying to get it to work. They said we could make it work. Okay. He says we could, with what you did, we could, you know, bend the fender a little bit, sure. get it to fit, and it would probably look okay. Yeah. He's like, but these guys are basically a Porsche certified repair shop. They want to do it right. They want to do it right. And I want to do it right. Of I want to do it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I just don't. Yeah, I don't blame you at this point. At this point, I'm just... Please fix it. Please make it right. And I'm I'm kind of proud that the work I did isn't being changed. But there's yeah. still just a big task that needs to be done. And yeah. also, there's rust on the bottom of the doors. Okay. That be even before I went in there, I was like, I want you guys to fix this. Right. It's just I don't know if they need to reskin the doors or what. But the project, I'm I'm out of energy. I don't yeah, I, I don't have any more energy capital of which to do any more body work. I just don't. This yeah. was, that was all that I had. And I just, <laughs> I don't have any more to give. So in a couple of weeks, I'll have the car back and it'll be. I was going to ask you, how does this affect timeline? Uh, it really doesn't. They okay. asked me, I'm like, are you in a rush? I said, no, not really. Just do a good job. Yeah. So probably two, three weeks. Okay. So they ordered all the, uh, the, the, uh, the fixtures for the select. Sure. Because they rent them. So basically yep. you have your jig and then you rent the fixtures. Right. Because there's so many for so different many cars, vehicles. Right. Yep. Yeah. So you rent the fixtures for, I think they said it was $75 a day. Interesting. And they need them for about three or four days. So it's like three to $400 to rent these stupid fixtures. <laughs> just to get it straight. Well, actually just to know where straight is. Exactly. That and then doesn't include any labor of cutting and welding and tweaking. Right. So yeah, not even close. So I'm expecting... To get a bill for somewhere between seven and ten thousand dollars <laughs> is kind of what I'm expecting, oh, including painting, man. including painting the fenders and the doors. I'm thinking it's probably going to be around that mark, which is oh my goodness. As a result, 
Yeah. I sold the 190E. Okay. And I really, really am heartbroken about this. I did not want to sell this car. This is the first time in in memory that I can even remember that I have sold ever. Actually, this is the first car I've ever sold that I did not want to sell. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I drove that stupid wagon down here. Uh, <laughs> the red wagon, which is for sale, but the nobody wants it. The little red wagon. Can we call it the radio flyer? It's a red it, wagon. You can call it whatever you want because I just don't care about it at all. You can, I just, I won't be offended of anything that we you say. We should get a radio flyer like vinyl and put it on the side of it. That would make you like it more. Yep. No. Yep. No. I wish my my glare would have, would have come across on the podcast. I think it probably did. Um. Yeah. So that's that's basically where we're at. Sold one ninety e. My car is destroyed, and uh, <laughs> but it'll but it'll be okay. Fun. Yeah. Speaking okay. of the one ninety e and how much you love that car, it was interesting. So I got to drive it last week. We traded. When we traded. Right. So I had the the Hyundai Genesis G seventy. We don't. I even, shouldn't say Hyundai. It's a Genesis standalone brand. Right. The Genesis G seventy. I look at it in terms of. Toyota and Lexus. Right. It's kind of how I envision the model for that company. Yeah. And we'll get to that after our next break here. But w- regardless, I had the 190E for a couple of days. And I will say for a 1992 car with 200 and what? 30,000. Whatever thousand miles. I think it was solid. It's 237,000 miles. That is solid. You it liked was it. very quiet. I didn't like it. It was boring. It, it as is someone, boring. Someone asked, they go, so did you change your mind now that you got to drive it? What did you think? I go, it did nothing for me. Right. Right? It's a very nice, quality, quiet car. Build quality is amazing. Right? It, it is exactly. It, just, it did nothing for but me. But it is exactly what it was supposed to be. Sure. The car is exactly you, what you're Except explaining. Except you kind of ex- ruined it by making it so low. I did a little bit. <laughs> I did a little bit. But yeah. I, you have to admit, it drove pretty nice for being that low. Yeah, I think part of the problem is the 300 pounds of rock salt in the back to right. make it sit level. See, now I'm forced to <laughs> now I'm forced to actually fix the suspension before I sell it. I got to right. do that this weekend. Because I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely not quick. And then I was like, well, it's also like I'm carrying two extra passengers in the trunk. It's not a fast car. No. Um, do you think you would like that car if it was a manual with a high revving motor? Yes. Just, I would like it more. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, you've got the basically the Econobox engine in there with an automatic transmission. Right. That would be like driving a... Just think of it this way. When I bought that 911 with the Aero Kit, it was a Tiptronic engine, and right. it ruined the car. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just... It was total boredom, and it was... Right. In, and it had these, like, uh, Tiptronic shifting, and it was lazy and slow. It was slow. so bad. You know, it's it's... It was off. It was. I felt like I was dragging the car to do anything at any time. <laughs> like, come on, let's do this. And you grab it by the collar and pull it over here. And right. just, let's go. Let's do this. You know, and the guy, the guy that bought it was like, "Yeah, I can't wait to track this thing." I'm like, "Okay, buddy. Oh, okay, really? buddy. Have fun. I didn't. <laughs> you're gonna, that. you're gonna enjoy that. Yeah. Not. My wife did actually start looking at nine nine sixes yesterday. I would. You know, that's something that I would consider as well. Yeah. You know, I, I would definitely consider daily driving a nine nine six. Um, I may look for another 190E. Yeah, down the road once I recover from the swift kick in the nuts that my 911 gave me, and I've, also a financial and pandemic crisis that we're facing right now. Right, I'm, it would be. <laughs> yeah, good timing. Good yeah, timing. Exactly, it's just horrible timing. Really, really horrible timing. 
All right. Well, before we get into our full review of the G70 and a little bit of history behind Genesis, let's take a moment to talk about Oberk Car Care. Oberk is a Midwest manufacturer of polishing compounds and supplies that is research tested and developed by professional detailers. Oberk products are designed to decimate swirls, holograms, and oxidation on your vehicle's paint. Right now, Oberk is offering 20% off of any order online with the code Overcrest. Now, the discount code is actually good not only on OberkCarCare.com, but also on Car Supplies, Warehouse.com, and DetailedImage.com. And Chris, I got to tell you, now that I actually have a black car with paint I care about, because <laughs> I had a black car, the Hummer, that I didn't really care about the paint. Right. But now that I care about the paint on the Macan, I really need to put my Oberk polishers to good use here. So stay tuned on that later. What are you using for a polisher? I have the good old Menard special. It, it is an actual like DA polisher. Does a decent job for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. It's just not a very high end. And it's, you know how it, it's noisy. Do you like, like, do I feel you like, like that's, detailing cars? I hate it. Why? It's just, I don't know. I don't like it. Did it's, you feel good afterward though when you, kept, you step you back do, and you look? But I don't know. Then it just gets dirty again. Right. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's it, something that... I know some people love it and find it very cathartic. I will say it's much better once you have quality product. It is like easier Oberk. once the car is clean and you do a really good job. It's easier to keep it clean. That's true as well. That. My yeah. problem is, is that I always get it really, really clean. And then I kind of keep it clean. And then I kind of tail off. And then pretty soon I'm going through the automatic car wash. And then it's, I have to start over and do it again. If I would just buckle down and keep the thing clean, I'd probably be much better off. All right, so let's talk about the Genesis G70. Yeah, so Genesis set us up with a brand new 2020 G70. That's the 3.3 liter turbo. This one was. All-wheel drive. Yep, with the auto. The uh, eight-speed automatic, I think. It's an eight-speed auto. The the two-liter is the one that comes with a manual. You can get right. the, you can get a manual. I don't think that. you can get the manual with the all-wheel drive. Correct. Okay. I also I, I kind of wish it would have been the the rear-wheel drive version Agreed. as I started looking into this, but it was very nice, but you can tell it was heavy because of that. Yeah, it's about thirty five hundred pounds. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a big it's car. Closer to four thousand. Is it really? Yes, I thought it, it was thirty five hundred. Thirty eight something. Holy cow! Well, that with all wheel drive. Maybe I was looking exactly. at the rear wheel drive You're specs. Right. Yep. Um, I will say so. My first impressions. They drop it off in my driveway. Had I not just purchased a Porsche Macan and a newer Audi S three, I would have been blown away by this car. But would you have bought it? No. <laughs> and and I admit it's because I'm a little bit of a brand snob still. Right. And that is something they have to overcome. But I'll get into it later. I mean, it is such a high quality car. I think the research and development is definitely there. The You gotta keep in mind that this is the Genesis is pretty new. Right. This is a great this foundation is a for the company. Second to, year of that car. Yeah, it's That's it's it. a great foundation to move forward from here. Right. Move move up and see where things go. You know, they've got to build a reputation first before I think people will take it super seriously. Yeah. And I think that this car is a pretty good example of that. The best thing about the, my favorite thing. Yes. I'll tell you my favorite thing and I'll tell you my least favorite thing about the car. I like it. I will do the same. All right. Favorite thing about the car is the seats. 100%. And specifically the side bolsters. So there was a uh, way back in the day uh, when I first bought my 911. I had seats called Recaro Orthopedics. Okay. okay. Which, that sounds like a it seat like a, that should be in the grandpa car, for sure. It sounds like a, a seat that you get only through prescription. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the orthopedic. So basically what the orthopedics are, there's like a, a little 
a little panel on the side and you can adjust the leg bolsters on the side in and out. You can adjust the forward bolster underneath your knee up and down in and out. And you can adjust, uh, all the bolsters. You can adjust right. everything. Okay. Yeah. And, and you can, you can really dial these things in and they're heated and everything. They're not air conditioned like the Genesis was, but they're heated seats. Yeah. And this is the only other seat that I've ever sat in that kind of felt like that. It kind yeah. of felt like it actually fit me. Normally when I get into a seat, that's a new car. I'm like, geez, what am I sitting on a sofa? Is this a lazy boy? I'm skinny. So right. I, I don't fit. So it was really nice to get into a car that I got in. And of course you started pushing all the buttons for yeah. me because you have this ADD problem where you just need to push everything. Push all the buttons. Yeah. So you get in, you turn it to sport mode and then all the, the seat like just snugs up on you automatically. Yeah. And then there's a little button over on the side where you can turn it up even more. Right. Where you can really so that snug is it up. My favorite part is when you change driving modes, the seat bolsters change. They like that is the tighter. only thing I like about the changing the driving mode. Yes. And to be fair, I think that you could probably set it up in custom. Yes. And get it to just be how you want. Yeah, you can. But actually switching between the modes is extremely disorienting. If you're just driving mm -hmm. and you switch from normal comfort or whatever it is to sport, mm -hmm. yes. all of a sudden you're like, Ugh, and the car just like, it turns into a different car. Yes. And I don't like that. So because that, that is the point of it though, Chris. I understand that that's the point of it, but it's bad for muscle memory because your brain doesn't work that way. It can't just change. Yes. However, here is a different take on that. A lot of cars that have these different modes, it's hardly noticeable. You go from eco to sport, and it's like, I don't what changed. This was Maybe the shift points. Extremely, the, the chasm was wide between the two <laughs> different modes, right? right? I mean, it's it's very different. The throttle response goes up. The steering gets really thick and direct, Which, and the suspension tightens up. I mean, there's all these different things that happen that make it a completely different car. Which, here's the thing, Chris. Do it's you either have trouble swapping from your 190e to your 911. Is that no, disorienting? No, because my brain is acclimated to each separately. I think okay. that the way that the human brain works is that you have a certain thing, and that's the way the muscle memory works. I understand what you're saying, but this car is for people who don't have a sports car and like the Grandpa luxury. Here, here's mobile. like a video this game. This is supposed to do both. Here's a video game comparison. Okay. Okay. I play Call of Duty. Right. Okay, which is a first-person shooter game for anybody that 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 plays video games. If I play the game for a week, yep. okay, play it a lot for a week, and then I go into the sensitivity settings for the controller and I change the sensitivity settings, I can't play. It's like I have to relearn how to play the game because sure. my gun is aiming all over the place because my thumbstick is way more sensitive than it would have been. The triggers are weird. You suck at the game again, and you have to relearn. And if you're, that's the way the brain works is this muscle memory, your brain adapts to what, cause you're not thinking, okay, I need to move my hand this much. Mm -hmm. You don't think that cause it would take way too long for your mind to say, well, I need to turn the steering wheel 20 degrees to the right. Your brain just learns. It learns right. with what you're doing with the device that you're using. It needs to do X. So you're saying when you change these driving modes, that's what is discombobulated. It, it was totally disorienting for me. Yeah. And to, to be fair, I think you could just set it up in custom. But and then you'd never have to. You would never. You just set it up right. all you want and you never do it. But right. I don't know that most people are going to do that. I think most people are going to just, yeah. oh, I got the sport mode there and switch it over. And then the throttle is like super touchy. And, and it, I just, I couldn't handle the switch. Now, in sport mode, mm -hmm. that thing moves. Yeah, it does. I think it's like 4.8 or 4.8. 4.8 for the all-wheel drive and 4.5, 0 to 60 for the rear-wheel drive, something like that. I think it's kind of in that neighborhood. Don't, yep, those it's 4.8 for the car we had, I know. Right, yeah, and the, and the rear-wheel drive is a, is a little bit better. Did you try the launch control? No, I didn't even know it had launch control. I go, I, Jess went for a ride with me, and I go, this thing's got to have launch control. It's got a, a G-force meter. 
True. in the heads-up right. display. Yeah, why it's got it this not? little stupid thing that says how much torque you, you're making at any yes. given time. I'm like, what? But it doesn't say a number. It's just like it's zero. It's a bar graph between zero and 400. It's zero and 400. Okay. Which, and then, of course, I'm just pinning it, watching that thing. Yeah, like, yeah. And you're right, looking how far at can it. I get it? Yeah, I was doing that with the GeForce meter on the on-ramp, too. I'm like not looking at the road going like, how many Gs am I pulling? Yes. Which is completely ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure it's better on the track when you're like in a controlled environment. You go, okay, I, you know, this many. Did you play with, because it also has a head-up display. I did. I I played with that. It, it, did, could you get the GeForce meter on the head-up display? Because no, that would be cool. You could not. So okay. it, it just has basically speed and then like the speed limit where you are and yeah. if you're going to crash. <laughs> you are going to crash i tested the the automatic braking thing yeah i had my foot on the brake and i got kind of close to a car and it says uh collision warning or uh, okay. it's, i think it says collision warning and it starts beeping within and the car where the car is in relation to the lane divergence yeah that you can see there's a road with the car in the middle that shows where the car is in the lane and it shows you where the car is that you're about to die to right is, is right up there so did you get to the point where it hit the brakes for you no i didn't let it do that oh, i kind of want to though um i did test out the the cruise control the adaptive, the adaptive cruise, cruise sure which is nice but i think that all of like i like the emergency braking systems mm-hmm. if you're going to get into an accident and the car detects that braking for you is really nice yeah i think that for is sure. excellent but the the adaptive cruise control where you can just set it at 70 if someone cuts in front of you it slows down and maintains a distance of speed based on their speed it just paces them, right? And then they get out of the way, and then your car speeds up for you, right? That is a recipe to encourage people to drive distracted. Oh, I hundred percent. I mean, it is. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think any of that stuff well, is a good idea. <laughs> it's no different. I mean, that's Tesla autopilot and all these other electric cars that have automated driving. I don't care. I don't care. I don't. I don't. Just saying I don't, those are bad. They're bad. I don't. Ex- I don't bad. just accept this new reality. Okay. Right. I talked to a, a, a journalist friend of mine. And I said, I called him up and I said, hey, there's way too much going on in this car. Yeah. You know, and this was my first impression that it was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a mess. But as I learned how to use everything, it became much more intuitive once I got used to it. But coming from the 190E, I was like, oh my God, there's so right. much going on. I was going to say, you sound a little ill-informed, I would say, because these, these are modern cars. Here's the thing. That's, this is it. That Okay. That's what he said. He goes, this is the way modern cars are. Yes. This is all the things that they have to have. And I go, I don't care. You're, we're basically making we're making excuses for, well, that's the way that everything is. So that's the way this is. So then you go, okay, based on um, these are the things that all of these cars have. Mm-hmm. How does this car do with what it has? And in that vein, yes. the car does very, very well. Yes. It's very, very intuitive. However... I don't think we should be making excuses for this. Um, I was going to talk about this on another podcast, but um, we have this pr- progress problem. Okay. Okay. Where if you look at, for example, you look at my 190E that has four, five buttons, right? You've got a hazard button and then you've got the all four windows. And yep. I guess six, you've got the sunroof. Okay. So you have six buttons total. All right. Okay. And that was 1992, 93. Uh-huh. Now we're in 2020, which is 30, 27 years later, 28 years later. And look how much more there is in the car. But when you look at how that happened, uh-huh. it was extremely gradual. Right. Okay. As you went on, you got things like uh, um, heated seats, heating. All of a sudden you had heated steering wheels. And then yeah. all of a sudden you have air conditioned seats. All these things need buttons. Okay. And then you have heads up displays. And then pretty soon you've got a. Uh, um, even in 1990, 1992, you had uh, things that would show how many miles you went. That was really, really early, like a Mark II uh, Jetta GLI 16 valve that was top of the line would tell you like 
some some information like how many miles you drove. You could scroll through it on the steering wheel. Sure. Or the, I mean, I mean the, uh, the 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 stock. stock. And this stuff was added little by little by little by little by little. And then all of a sudden you had. Uh, uh, automatic climate control that had to be mm-hmm. added on and then you have now you have screens in the car and you have to be able to control the screens and well hey we can't be looking over to the radio so let's put the radio controls here but also here right and th- so then you have to find a way as you go you have to now now everybody expects this okay right. so you get to you get to stage one which is all of a sudden you have to have the buttons on the steering wheel for the radio okay now we get to stage two where you also have to have a multifunction display on the instrument cluster but we also have to have a way to control that and then, okay, well, we also have cruise control. So now we have to be able to control that too. Oh, but just wait, sir. We also have to be able to control the heads-up display in the windshield. So we have to have controls for that. But all of these things happen little by little by little, stage one, stage two, stage three. And now we're at to this point where we have all of these different things that all have to be there because the consumer expects them to be there. Right. And I don't think that we should let that slide. I don't think we should just go, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way cars are. That's just how it is. I, no, that's not right. We don't have to accept it. We can say that that's bad. We don't just have to accept it. And I think I'm going to say that a lot when I say the car is too complicated. There's too much going on. It allows for distracted driving. You're looking at the uh, the, the screen. You're looking at the all the buttons on the steering wheel. You got to figure out the radio, the climate control. You've got the heads up display. You're moving that around. You're adjusting this. You got little buttons down here that say, I have to turn off. You can turn on and off whether you want lane departure warning. Right. You can turn on and off so the adaptive cruise control. Two things. I'm going to agree with you in the sense that is much easier to get in an old car without all these features and just drive and know where the controls are, right? Like when I got in the 190E, I've never been in one before. I never drove in one before. I knew where all the controls were. It was intuitive. Newer cars from vehicle to vehicle and manufacturer to manufacturer with all these features, it is different where they are. So and there's there is a reason a steep for that. learning curve. There's a steep learning curve. And the, the reason that there's a learning curve, back in the day, you'd have you'd have things where it's like, oh, well, the cruise control is different on these cars. Right. Or, oh, well, the, the wiper is over here. But on here, it's it's a it turns on the stock. But on a Mercedes, you just push it up and down to change the wiper speed. All right. that stuff is you can learn it very very fast. But right. they were all a little bit different. Yeah. So manufacturers are always trying to say there's a better way to do this. Right. Differentiate. And, and there's their way, which yeah. is in their mind a better, more intuitive way to do this. And that's how you kind of get brand loyalty a little bit too. I think. Oh, for sure. Is you have these this continuity of this is where the stock is. This is where it's going to be. And if I buy a new one, it's going to be in the same place. Right. But here's the problem, is manufacturers are still trying to do this right okay so now you have all of these different things that they're like well this is our way to do it yeah we have this is our layout and everybody's kind of struggling and pushing back and forth trying to find a way to take all of this crap put it on a steering wheel and have you not kill yourself when My you drive into someone actually... else who's also trying to figure this out <laughs> on the steering wheel. Actually, a Florida man crashes into another Florida man. Both were trying to figure out the cruise control on their brand new car. I mean, there's it's so yeah, it it's it is disorienting. And even my wife and I swapping from the S3 to the Macan and back and forth, we're like, wait a minute, where's the volume control? It's on different sides of the steering wheel in each car, and everything else is like that, where it's slightly different. I will say one thing you won't like. The one modern car that has every single feature packed into it that I think does this really well, is not distracting, doesn't look like a bunch of buttons were just thrown at a dashboard, is a Tesla. However, you still have to navigate around a bunch of screens and you're looking at a screen and they're not buttons, so you have to look while you're doing it. Right. That's, that's there a are, problem. of course, yeah. 
you downfalls have to, in that. You as have well. to look at the screen because you can't just reach over and feel it. Right. Yeah. Think of the uh, that's every, yeah. Think of every TV remote that you hold up in your hand. Mm-hmm. Every TV remote has a couple buttons that have a, like a little the pe- little raised button. the little raised button or the little braille piece on it. Right. Yep. That way, if you're in the dark, you can once you get used to the remote, you can feel like okay, that's that button there, and then you can navigate the remote because you know where the baseline is. Right. And that's the same way on some of the older cell phones that were push button cell phones, like the number five, which is in the middle, ha- would always have a little thing on it, so you right. could be like, okay, that's that's the same five. with keyboards. Your your F and your J are always yeah, raised. right now I can tell that way when you put your hands on it you know exactly where your hands are with a screen you don't have any of that right. so you have to look at it and that's the problem so that's kind of the give and take of either one I mean I don't know what the solution is but I know that it's a problem and I refuse to accept that that's just the way it is and I refuse to go okay well we're only going to review cars and say <laughs> well that's the way it is so we'll just compare the Genesis infotainment system to the BMW one just because I can say that they both suck but the Genesis is better than the BMW okay I can say that so that was a rant more about modern car features and layout but here's my point. Then the Genesis specifically. Right. The Genesis did a, once I got used to everything, it did a pretty it is a pretty good job. I I suppose. I don't really like any of that stuff, so it's hard for me to hard for me to review it. I'm always going to try and be honest with you guys. It's going to be hard for me to give an objective view on any of that stuff. Okay. So, last two takeaways. One, can it do a burnout? No, it cannot do a burnout. All wheel drive. All wheel drive. Exactly. I, I was told that the, the rear wheel drive one does oversteer quite nicely. Yeah. And I'm just very disappointed that it goes. All right. Uh, and back then, to, back to, I want to say back to launch control. That's yes. where we left off oh, before, right. I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. before I lost, okay. my, lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The launch control, you have to hold the ESC button down yep. until it beeps and then it turns like, it tells you, you're basically tells you you're going to die. It says, this this isn't working anymore. This is off. This is your, this is, you're going to crash. There's pictures and of cars. And then you have to sign your name. <laughs> There's literally pictures consent. of cars crashing on the, like into each other. Like, I'm serious. It's really? like, yeah, there's like okay. this little indicator that you're probably going to die. Um, it's not as violent as I wanted it to be. The launch. The launch. But it definitely put a smile on the kids' faces. They okay. wanted me to do it again, yeah. daddy. You know, and it was, I mean, that thing moves for sure. Yeah, I would those. just would have liked, and maybe it's because it's a, a torque converter car. You're just doing a brake stand basically, right. which isn't necessarily good for the for the transmission to sit there on the brake and the gas and, and have the thing under load like that. I don't know that that's great for things. No, um, but it can't do a clutch drop. Like but it can't DSG do a clutch drop like a, a DSG where it just like destroys you and throws you into the seat and puts your right. lunch into your throat. Uh so I wish that would have been a little bit more violent, but the car does move really well. Um, I did drive it pretty gl- aggressively on some of the back roads in my neighborhood. Yep. Handles very new. It was very neutral, mm-hmm. which is probably a you know part of the all-wheel drive system. For sure. Um, I didn't really get the the nanny systems to come on. It's not my car, so I'm not going to push it that hard. Right. Uh, but I did did get put it through some paces. It it's it is a great car. It is the fit and finish on the inside is really really good. This definitely puts um, Audi, BMW, Lexus uh, on notice. For sure. Oh yeah. Because you, what you're getting for your thirty to fifty thousand dollars, you're not even you're not even able to get some of that stuff in a three series. Exactly. So I think that's really really cool. Which makes me wonder, where's the margin going in a BMW? <laughs> what are they leaving out that they should be putting in? Which is is kind of interesting. So hopefully we can get a you know a three series down the road, an A4 or something like that, just to just to have a little bit more comparison. And yep. I hope that we can do. Did you have a few more things you want to say on the car? Uh, not necessarily. I'm just trying to think overall. I mean, I it's not as quick as my Macan, but it's faster than the S3, which is interesting. Right. It is, I think, 
fit and finish as nice as both those cars. I would agree with that. Interior wise. Yeah. And I think that's when you get into a car, the first thing I notice, I'm like, boy, this smells like a nice car. It smells <laughs> it smells like an expensive car. The nice snap of leather, yeah. that kind of thing. It that you can you can tell what they're trying to do. Yeah. And I wish them the best of luck. You know, the only thing that I didn't like is when you look at the screen. You can't hide that screen. Yes. I don't like it. And that. do you know why that is? From 2018 onward, it's actually a mandate that the remote or the I'm sorry, the rear view camera needs to be visible immediately when putting it in reverse. So for instance, <laughs> give me a break. No, that's the thing. So the I have a 2017 S3, the year before that happened, and the screen is able to lower itself down into the dash. But in 2018, they changed that where it has to remain up because it doesn't raise itself quick enough for the mandate to show you Here's your how you rear fix view. This. You, you use your rear view mirror? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but to be fair, you can't see under your bumper if you're going to run over a dog. But what they could do is put the screen in the MFD on the instrument cluster, which is all full of LCD pixels anyway. That's so true. just put the screen there and then you can hide the stupid display. That is you a know, very good idea. I really think those displays are going to look bad in like 10 years. Yeah. I really think they're going to be... It's an appendage Ugh. that's just sticked on a it's dash. It's just there. It's got to it's go away. It's got to go away. I didn't know it wasn't their fault. That's interesting here. Yeah, it is. So do we want to go into a little history here? Or yeah, what? Well, tell me about this company. What's What's the story? Between 1910 and 1945, Korea was under Japanese rule. It was during this period. What is it with companies or countries over there that always need to control other countries? Yeah. It's like out of control. It's bad news, <laughs> and it's not good for the Koreans, as we'll get into. Um, it was during this period that Chung Yu Young was born. Now, he was part of a large family of peasant farmers, and life was, to say the least, tough. As a young boy, Chung dreamed of becoming a school teacher. That was, however, a dream as far-fetched as me becoming an NBA player, Chris. <laughs> That's Now that is far-fetched. It's far-freaking-fetched. Have you ever heard of Muggsy Bogues? Oh, he's a super short guy. He was 5'3". I'm taller than him. You could. You could have See? been a star. Yeah, All right. It could have happened. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so Chung's family was just that poor, and the government basically made sure to keep it that way. However, as it happened, Chung's grandfather was put in charge of a local Confucian school, which it's not. What is that? It's not to teach how to be confused. Confucian is like Confucius, like the uh, the religious. Yeah, the philosopher. Philosopher. Guy, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. So Chung raced to get his farm chores done at home so he could run to the school and sneak into lessons. Now, whether it was the education he received or simply a natural ability, one thing became clear. Chung had a talent for business and a steadfast determination. Now, when you talk about determined, just remember that as I'm telling you the rest of this story. Okay. Okay. So when Chung would venture into the neighboring town, he would bring along firewood that he had chopped and split on the farm. He would sell the wood for a profit in the cramped town where it was needed as a commodity. Chung's time in this fast-paced atmosphere of the town then kind of inspired him. Remember, he's grown up on a dirt-poor farm, basically shoveling dirt. Right, So he started reading newspapers and was soon determined to break out of poverty. And so, at the age of 16, Chung and a friend made plans to travel to the city of Chongjin to look for work. After a 15-mile trek through the most dangerous parts of the Panchun Valley, the pair reached the town of Kowan, where they were offered jobs as construction workers. They worked excruciating hours for low pay, but Chung's eyes were finally opened. Finally, he could earn money for himself. 
Chung I, and I his imagine friend. it must have been the conditions must have been terrible. Just hot, oh, just hot, just, just constant yeah. backbreaking work yeah. and getting paid pennies. But at the day end of the day, he goes, I earned this for myself. This is mine. I made money. Chung and his friend continued the work for just over two months. That is when Chung's father learned of their whereabouts and forced them to return home to the farm. But the journey that Chung and his friend had embarked on and the little money that he earned left him with something he had never felt before, pride. And so Chung realized he couldn't stay on the farm, even if it meant abandoning his family. This time, however, Chung would head towards Seoul, He's up in the, the ante here, Chris. He's yeah, going it's to the, a bigger the, the big city. city. He's right? going to the little, little guy to the big city. So in April of 1933, with two companions, Chung left the farm, this time for Seoul. However, right off the bat, the journey was destined for failure. First, one of the boys was caught by a sibling early on. Then as soon as they hit the road, they came across this stranger who was super helpful, and he promised them jobs along the way, right? I bet he did. But he just stole all their money. Mm. So without money. So I'm thinking of what what is Korea like in the 30s? Did you did you look up and find out what the It's got? like it's poor. It's it's under Japanese rule so they kind of got their thumb on them. Right. It's yeah, it's it's not great. So these two boys, they ran away from home again against their family's orders. They got all their money stolen. Why is it that they so is the family control thing kind of like well we're poor, but we need you to be here and working with us and yes. supporting the family. And I, I get into it a little bit more here. It's it's abandoning the family, the responsibilities. And it's I think at this time, it was a lot of like honor in the family. Right. And you're basically disrespecting your family by not helping them. And there wasn't this, you know, this day and age, and especially in this country, you basically are ingrained with this idea that you can... Go out on yourself and try to better yourself for yourself. Right. I don't think that was part of the culture. I don't think that was the case. You weren't able to have this pursuit of liberty and life and happiness, right? You just basically did what your family did in their class system, and you're expected to help and be honorable about it. Right. And so it, they basically described it as him abandoning his family and running away from home. And shirking responsibility, I think, is a lot of it. So for the second time, they did this. And when they lost all their money, the two boys decided to camp out at Chung's grandfather's house nearby. But soon Chung's father found them, reprimanded them terribly, and forced them to come back to the farm. So he remained on the farm for another year before getting serious about leaving for good. He managed to get a train ticket for 71 by selling one of his father's cows. Oh, my God. So, Chris, can you imagine being the father of this guy? Listen here, you little shit. You can't just abandon your family and responsibilities and run away twice. Then you come to find out that not only did he run away again, he stole your cow, which is probably your family's most prized possession at you gotta this keep, point. I think you have to keep in mind that none of this, what the father is doing, is malicious intent. No. It's just the way the culture is. Exactly. So he steals his family's most prized possession, I assume, would be their cow if they're that poor. And he sells it only to run away again. So Chung finally made it to Seoul and used the rest of the money from that cow. The poor cow, by the way. He's part of the family, too. Yeah, moo. I'm moo. Dead. And then he just gets sold off. So he uses the rest of the money to enroll in a bookkeeping school where he hoped to start a career as an accountant. And things went smoothly for a couple months, and Chung turned out to be a smart kid and a good student. Until one day, 
when his father busts into the classroom. <laughs> how do they find him? I don't know. Imagine how much more productive the father would be if he would just leave him alone. He spends most of his time not farming. I know. Uh, so after a heated argument, his father dragged him back home. Playing football at West Canaan may have been the opportunity of your lifetime. But I don't want your life. So as I mentioned before, what you have to realize about this time and this culture is this ingrained sense of the family honor and tradition and all of this that basically, I mean, despite selling the cow, it doesn't seem that terrible to go follow your dreams and to make a better life for yourself. But I think that was just kind of an affront to the society and the culture at the time. So fast forward, Chung is now 18, still working on the farm. And I bet you can't guess what he's about to do. Stay on the farm for life. He, <laughs> no. he finally had a change of heart and he's going <laughs> to. No, Chung decided to run away yet again. He left during the night with a friend who was running okay, away. Hold on. From... Do you know what the legal implications of Is he legally required to stay I with his family know. or is it just a cultural thing? I think it's a cultural okay. thing. I don't. Which in some ways is, can be stronger. Right. Agreed. So he ran away in the middle of the night with another friend who was running away from something entirely different, a forced marriage, which knowing how bad this is to run away, can you imagine how ugly that bride had yeah, to be? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> the dowry must have been no. Yeah, been a small he didn't dowry. even get a cow for the dowry. So once Chung reached Seoul, he jumped at any job he could find, never turning down any opportunity to work and make money. After several odd jobs, Chung managed to land a job as a deliveryman for a rice store, and he eventually won the praise of all the rice store's customers. So he's the one basically going and delivering rice and interacting with everyone, and they really like Chung. So he was so good and impressed the owner so much that the owner allowed Chung to manage the store after only a few months of working for him. Then in 1937, the owner of the rice store became ill and decided to leave the entire business to Chung. What? So he had no family. His kids ran away too, apparently. <laughs> exactly. I didn't even think of that. So that's great. The store grew and made good profits until early 1939 when Japan in its war efforts to secure rice supplies for the country and military, imposed an oppressive rice rationing system. Which this is for World War II. Yeah, right before World War II yeah. going into it. So basically... They're like, babe, we're going to bomb Pearl Harbor. We better get a, this. We, we, we need a lot of rice. <laughs> yeah. We need a lot of we rice, lot guys. Of rice. And so basically it took Korean businesses out of the rice trade completely and effectively shuttered the business. So Chung returned home to his village, which I don't understand. He spent... All of these years and attempts running away from home for years. And I think Chung was just that frustrated by this Japanese Well, just imagine that. Occupation. Just imagine being defeated in that way. Right. Where you did everything right and you finally got it. You finally got that business. Yeah. And then they took it away from you. Right. I mean, just imagine. Yeah. I, I think he just kind of didn't have said, a bulldozer. <laughs> Ooh, future episode <laughs> reference. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of like, screw it. I guess I can't run a business with the government that's trying to squash you. But that also served as a sort of inspiration. You see, with the restrictions imposed on Koreans, Chung took stock of what was needed. He goes, okay, we're kind of being oppressed. What can't we get? What can't we do ourselves? And one thing that was needed was cars. So Koreans couldn't import cars under Japanese rule. And then using a service station that... So what did they drive? They Rickshaws? had old cars. Okay, so they just had to just basically do make do. So he purchased a service station from a friend and basically started just a shop 
to maintain all these cars on the road. Within three years, the number of employees grew from 20 to 70. That's a hell of a shop. Yeah, it is. In 1946, after the liberation of Korea from Japanese control, Chung started Hyundai Civil Industries in anticipation of the post-war reconstruction and industrialization, right? Now they're finally free. All right, the country's going to want to build. So Chung won major government contracts and became responsible for building much of South Korea's transportation infrastructure, including dams, expressways, the world's largest shipyard, and even the Cory nuclear power plant. Do we have a quote from his dad? Yeah, I want to know what his dad's <laughs> thinking after all this. Like, come on, anyway. <laughs> from there, Chung continued to grow and diversify the company into what South Korea's major conglomerates. Now, Hyundai Motor Company was later established in 1967, and the company's first model, the Cortina, was released in cooperation with the Ford Motor Company in 1968. So that was basically, as the name suggests, just a rebranded Ford Cortina sold for the Korean market. They didn't even change the name. Nope. They're like, <laughs> Ford Cortina? Hyundai Cortina. It wasn't long, though, before Hyundai began to develop their own car. They hired George Turnbull, was the former managing director at British Leyland. So if you want to build reliable cars, who do you go to, Chris? The Koreans? The British, apparently? Yeah. <laughs> Not what I would think. We heard you guys, you know, <laughs> we're having trouble with this wiring over Yeah, here. the wiring is the trouble. Excuse me, hello, Mr. Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I can't figure out if this brown wire is ground or if this red wire is power. Yeah. I don't really, and then there's this black wire too. We can't figure this out. Please, nope. we hear that and you're the best. smoking. Yeah, <laughs> we hear you're the best at wiring. We need to really get these things nailed down. Could you please come make everything broken? So regardless, this George Turnbull, he hired five of his other British car engineers and brought him over to Korea. And the next year, the Hyundai Pony, the first South Korean car, was released. Hyundai Pony's a cool car. They really is are kind of cool, yeah. All right. Uh, in, in the way the Yugo is cool. You okay. know what I mean? There you go, yes. In 86, Hyundai began to sell cars in the United States, and the Excel was nominated as Best Product by Fortune Magazine, largely due to just how cheap it was. Right. From there, Chung died in 2001 at the age of 85. He is recognized as one of the most admired businessmen in Korean history, and his identity pervades modern Korea society and industry. Talk about perseverance. You know, when you think about, you know, struggling here, you know, I think about, man, man, I really, why isn't this working for me? Or I really wish this was, you know, working out. At least I'm not getting shoved into an arranged marriage or being forced to come home and work on a farm and repeatedly and just basically getting chopped off at the knees over I know. and over. And, and then over when you again. finally make it, the government puts restrictions on it and shuts you down. I just... The perseverance is really, really impressive. That's what I thought so, too. And here's a last story that I really like. Before he died in 1998, he personally herded 1,001 cows from South Korea across the demilitarized zone into North Korea. He explained that was his repayment 1,000 times over for the cow he took from his father's farm so many years later. That is... That's a hell of a story, man. I, I I love the stories of the, you know, people are people complain about, well, America, you can't pull your bootstraps up and do anything anymore. Look at what this guy did. Yeah, in the midst of just oppression and yeah, it's crazy. So do you want to know where Genesis then took over? Yeah, what what how, how did Genesis yeah, end up? Yeah, so that same year in 98, Chung transferred leadership to his son, 
Chung Meng Ku. So it was then that Hyundai began this overhaul of its image in an attempt to establish itself as a world-class brand. That's when they added the 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty to cars, which was unheard of at the right. time. I remember that and being like, wow, that's, that's a long time. It still is a long time. Hyundai also started an initiative to focus on vehicle dynamics, and that's when they hired the vice president of engineering at BMW Motorworks, Albert Birmanto, Birmanto? Sure. to detract chassis development. So they're bringing in BMW guys. They're upping the quality. Hyundai introduced the Genesis model in 2008. Remember, this was the Genesis yep. Coupe. Yep. Then seven years later, the Genesis nameplate was transformed into a standalone brand. So today we have the G70, the G80, the G90, and their new SUV, the GV80. By 2022, a sports coupe and two crossovers are expected, bringing the number of Genesis models to at least six. So, Chris, in order to define Genesis's brand identity, which we're trying to do, I took a quote from one of the recent marketing campaigns. Quote, say hello to the new face of young luxury. Young luxury, huh? Honestly, I kind of like this approach. It's them saying, look, we're not the old snobby luxury cars of yesteryear. Right. We don't rely on brand and heritage to prop up our image and inflate our price. Instead, they're standing on their own quality and value like we described. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's a good foundation for the company going forward. And like I said, I think the car is, um, I think we're going to have for our ratings for cars, I think we're going to have bad car, good car, and pretty good car. Okay. Just like so what was the G70? It's a pretty good car. I think it's, it's, a, it's an excellent, I think car. it's an excellent car. Um, it does have some failings, but you know, that's just, it's opinion based stuff. It's not like it's, it's, it's factually failing on any, in, in any way. It's just opinion based stuff that I don't like. Right. But overall, a pretty good car. Absolutely. All right. Uh, before we get into a little bit of news, what do you have for us? Yeah, we need to talk about our sponsor, Worth USA. Worth is a family-owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high-quality, professional-grade shop supplies and tools with the industry's leading customer service. They also have their new line of world-class hand tools that is now in the U.S. market. These are the Zebra tools that are German-made with lifetime warranty. Be sure to check them out and head over to worthusa.com. All right. I've got a little bit of news, and I thought I would I would cheer you up with a little bit of this news. Now, I okay. want you to click that first link, uh, and I'll start reading it to you while you watch the video while it plays, okay? And read the headline and watch the video as we as we go along here. Should I right. read the headline? Uh, if you want to. As a Man matter. climbs under moving big rig filled with wine, begins drinking <laughs> from tank. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and he's in his underwear for some reason. Why is he in his underwear? Of course he's oh in his underwear. Oh, my God. This is like Fast and the Furious where the Civics go and they take over the truck. Yeah, listen to this. The Modesto uh, Highway Patrol arrested Gabriel Moreno after he allegedly jumped on a moving Tanker truck yes! carrying bulk red wine. <laughs> <laughs> Climbed under its belly to unscrew a valve and drank the wine as the truck traveled up Highway 99. Oh, my goodness. This guy. Why? Okay. he's <laughs> Why is he in his underwear, first of all? Why? Of course he's. I mean, obviously. What? Okay. So he... video of the wild ride was recorded on the Cherokee Freight Lines tanker truck Moreno allegedly targeted. The dash cam video first shows Moreno in a sedan, putting his hazard lights on, directing the truck to the side of the highway. Yeah. And this what... is a heist. What is he doing now? He's popping the trunk. The truck driver pulls over, believing he may have a mechanical problem, only to see Moreno get out with only his underwear on. Yes. The camera shows Moreno running to the passenger side of the truck and out of view. 
As the truck driver pulls back on the freeway, another onboard camera captures Moreno, jump back into view, and then on the back of the wine truck. Which With I no didn't realize. Shirt, no shoes. He rides <laughs> on the tanker. The video then shows him climb underneath the truck as it hits freeway speed. This is actually very impressive. Oh, very impressive. That's when the just some Spider-Man shit right here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's when the driver noticed a dashboard gauge showing he was losing fluids. <laughs> Hundreds of <laughs> gallons of wine. So we called the California Highway Patrol. Oh, they have a Quote, mug shot for the guy. He has clothes on now. <laughs> I've listened to thousands and thousands of calls. This one's <laughs> up there in the top ten. We need to get a hold of Tom Olson then and find out what the other thousands are. What, <laughs> yeah, what are the other nine? 10? What nine would top this? The truck driver allegedly found Moreno in an unusual position. Moreno had unscrewed a valve underneath the truck as it was traveling north on Highway 99. That set the taker's wine gushing and Moreno gulping as much as he could. <laughs> this individual was able to release the wine from under the tanker and he placed himself underneath the tanker in such a manner. The best way to describe this was somebody like doing snow angels. <laughs> The Highway 99 red wine heist, big and bold, with a finish in handcuffs. The individual got exactly what they were looking for immediately. The Trumping trucking company said they lost about 1,000 gallons of red wine, most of it ending up on Highway 99. That is enough to fill about <laughs> 5,000 bottles of wine. Wow. This guy is a hero. I don't know. Okay, if you're that hard up for a wine fix, like just rob the liquor store. This is just a waste. And so much harder. I'm impressed. So much harder. I'm impressed. I don't care. I wonder what the fine for this is. I don't know. What do you even get charged with? <laughs> what do you get charged with? Reckless drinking? I don't I, know. It's, like, really? What? Theft? It's probably just grand theft because it's, I mean, you took a, a, what, a, how many, lot, a of lot of wine. wine. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of a wine. Huge amount of Although, money. Although, if it's being transferred in a tanker truck, it's not that high quality. No, it's, <laughs> it's probably This is going wine. into a box. Yeah, yes. it's definitely going into a box, but still. All right, so next story. A five-year-old boy yes. was caught driving his parents' car on freeway in Utah on Monday, apparently on his way to California to buy a Lamborghini. <laughs> from <you. laughs> So I kept reading this headline, and I need to know what happened. The kid driver made it a handful of miles from his home in Ogden. I think this is Utah. So he was on his way from Utah to California. Which... Why California to buy the Lamborghini? Maybe there's no dealerships in Utah. So he like somehow. I know there's a Ferrari dealership, but. Okay. Troopers initially thought they'd stumbled upon an impaired driver, but soon, saw, but soon found their perp was actually a child with a penchant for luxury cars. The boy told them he left home after an argument with his mom who refused to buy him the Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> so he decided to go get one himself. Quote. He might have had been short on the purchase amount. He only had $3 in his wallet. <laughs> the post included a photo of the boy in his gray sweatshirt and patterned shorts, bringing his hands inside his parents' car. <laughs> yeah, he looks very nervous. Sergeant said that boy is indeed five years old, though the angle at which the photo was taken, he may have seen him look older. Cops did not mention, pun mention a punishment for the boy, but, with, but going to bed without supper could be in his future. How? Right. So he has at five years old the wherewithal to steal the keys, turn on the car, Get the car in, probably reverse to back out of the driveway, put it in park, drive several miles onto the interstate without <laughs> crashing, and then he sees a cop behind him and he's responsible enough to pull over. Hopefully he's got enough money to bail his dad out of jail for drinking all that wine. <laughs> 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 all right.
right, guys, that's all we've got for you today. I want to remind you to head over to patreon.com slash overcrest, support the show. If you want to just donate and don't want to do the Patreon thing, we've got a PayPal for that too. You can just see it on our website, right overcrestproductions.com. You can just donate money. If you want to help out the show, now would be a great time to do that. Uh, support. If you don't support us, support somebody. Yes. Hit that subscribe button if you're new to us. Leave us a five-star review. We would really appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Take care.